Welcome to episode four of the Going for Broke Outdoors podcast, a podcast by an outdoorsman for other outdoorsmen. I'm your host, Jeremy Gillespie. In today's episode, we catch up with Brandon Mock. Brandon is an accomplished bow hunter from Michigan and one of those guys who's consistently killing big deer but flying under the radar at the same time. In this podcast, we discuss the tradition of hunting, early season morning hunts, hunting in the rain, evaluating hunter pressure, some kill examples, Brandon's calling techniques, and more. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you give the video a like, subscribe to my YouTube channel, or share the podcast with a friend. I'm also excited to announce my second giveaway. When my YouTube channel hits 500 subscribers, I'm going to give away two prizes. First, a $100 gift card to Cabela's, and the second prize has been donated by Stealth Outdoors and will include a set of stealth strips for climbing sticks, a tree stand kit, and a roll of stealth strips to silence your entire setup. To enter the giveaway, visit the contact page on my website and sign up for my subscriber list. There's a link in the description of this video. Second, go to the Stealth Outdoors Facebook or Instagram pages and give them a like, and you'll be entered for the giveaway. Today's podcast is brought to you by Stealth Outdoors, the tree stand silencing store. Stealth Outdoors manufactures a variety of tree stand silencing equipment aimed at the mobile hunter, including climbing stick wraps, cam buckle covers, platform cable wraps, and more. Head over to www.stealthoutdoors.com to check out the latest addition to the product line, Smoke Camo, a unique open pattern camo designed specifically to camouflage and conceal your tree stand at elevation. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Snark Media Agency, a digital-first agency focused on custom web design, specialized photo and video creation, and all things marketing. Visit www.snarkmediaagency.com to establish or expand your online presence. Web, photo, video, Snark Media Agency. All right, I'm joined today by Brandon Mock. How's it going today, Brandon? Pretty good. Glad to have you on. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I want to go ahead and get started for people that aren't familiar with you. If you could just give a little intro about yourself and one of the things I want to talk about, I think preserving the tradition of hunting should be a goal of every sportsman out there. So talk about how you got into hunting, who took you on your first hunt and things like that. Yeah, my dad took me when I was just old enough, really. And uh, yeah, up to northern Michigan. And uh, that was 31 years ago. Just basically sat on the edge of some cedar swamps, waited for the deer to come out. Did you guys start out gun hunting or bow hunting? It was uh, gun hunting. Yeah, was that public or private land you guys started out on there? Public land. Okay. Yeah, it was public. So you said 30, 31 years ago. So did you start, what was the legal age at that time? Probably 12 in Michigan? Yeah, I used to just go out and sit with them, though. And I don't think I started really hunting until I was 14. So what are, what are you doing for a living right now? I'm a letter carrier for the, the post office. You're walking your route then every day, right? Yep. Yep, it's all on foot. Yeah. That's got to help get you in shape for the season. It helps for sure. All right, let's move into deer hunting. Michigan's deer season ends January 1st. When do your preparations for the following deer season usually start? Usually right away. Right when the season's done, I'm out there walking and yeah. You're not taking any time off then? No. Not at all. What are you doing that time of the year? Basically just seeing where the deer are. You know, I'm scouting for beds again and looking for setups for the future. 
and I'll use that info for late season hunting the next year. Yeah, I think that's a good piece of information because that uh, late season intel doesn't necessarily translate to the rut or early season, but a lot of times where the deer end up after, especially in Michigan after gun season and the pressure, that's a good indicator of where they'll be after gun season the following year and, and maybe find some good archery setups. Mm-hmm. So apart from that scouting, let's say in January, what else are you doing in the off season to increase your odds? So let's say January and February, you're out, you're out doing that kind of scouting. March, the, the snow starts to melt off usually in Michigan sometime in March. What are you doing from March to September to increase your odds going into the next season? I'm going over my equipment, see what I need to upgrade and uh, shoot my bow a lot and shed hunt. And yeah, I'm just out there trying to find new setups. So let's start with equipment. What are you doing in the off season? Are you looking at upgrading parts of your bow, maintenance, checking your tree stand? What what all are you doing specifically? Yeah, those two things. And uh, yeah, I'm just going over my stuff. Making sure, uh, you know, that if I want to upgrade with the for tree stands or whatever. What items would you say are on your must-have equipment list? I like two-blade broadheads. Been shooting them for a long time. I just, I just like them. A good tree stand and stick setup for sure. Also, ninety uh, percent of the time I'm wearing hit boots, so that's an important piece. That's really about it. Oh, if you don't mind sharing, uh, what brand broadheads and, and what grain are you shooting this year? 175 grain VPA. And then what about, you said tree stand and sticks. What are you using for stand and sticks this year? Right now I got a lone wolf assault too and lone wolf sticks. What about any uh, stealth strips you using those? Yes, I have, I have everything stealth strip. Good deal. Yeah, me too. And hip boots, uh, I think I know because I, I think I've seen Nina before, but are you wearing the, the Dan's hip boots? Yeah. Yeah, those things are awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, anybody that's not familiar with those, uh, Dan's, not Dan Infault, but Dan's, the company, hip boots, they make a couple different brands, and you can get whatever rubber boot you want custom sewn on, or they have a few options in the store, and they have a real heavy-duty fabric from the top of the boot to the hip that really keeps the briars and the pickers at bay and and they're fully waterproof too so i've got a pair i really like them actually i think maybe you turned joel onto him who's a a mutual friend of ours and and then i bought a pair after that yeah Uh, how long have you had yours now how those holding up they're holding up good i think i'm on my third season with them yeah that's pretty good i usually only get about maybe two or three seasons out of a pair of hip boots i used to wear the solid rubber ones and they only lasted about a year yeah, just like those waders, those those crack up pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I've talked to you a few times about archery equipment, and I feel like you've got an above-average knowledge of bow mechanics and bow tuning. And I also feel personally that shooting broadheads is a really important part of the preseason preparations. So I'd like to know, when do you start shooting your broadheads? I shoot broadheads all year. The only time I shoot field points is if I'm uh, bare shaft tuning. Okay, so you're shooting, do you have uh, like three or four heads that you're using, practice heads then that you're shooting all year? I usually use older ones and then get new ones for the season. Yeah, I think that's a good tip. I know, I mean, it's not as big of a deal if you're shooting mechanicals, but it seems like there's a real big trend going back towards fixed heads. I mean, a lot of guys shot fixed heads forever, but a lot of guys uh, that I know shot mechanicals are coming back to fixed heads, and 
and they do fly different, especially if your bow's a little out of tune. So I think it's real important to get shooting those as, as soon as possible. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your your arrows themselves. What kind of arrows you're shooting? And you said you're shooting a 175 grain VPA. You're shooting any brass inserts or anything to up your FOC? No, just the regular inserts that come with it. Okay. And then uh, what about what, which arrow and do you know how many grains per inch? Carbon Express. I think they're nine grains per inch. You shooting the Maximus? Yeah, I shoot Maximus. Yeah, I shot that arrow for years. I, I really liked it. When I ended up getting my new bow, I think the shop didn't have those specific arrows. So I'm going with, with the Easton Axis 5 millimeters. And I've, I've been happy with those too, but I think the Carbon Express makes a real good arrow. Yeah, they're good. So how long have you been shooting a heavier broadhead setup? I started probably in the early 2000s um, when I shot traditional recurves and longbows. And back then, you had to buy a glue-in insert on a glue-in head, glue-on head, because they didn't have the solid pieces back then like they do now. So you've been shooting a heavy broadhead for, geez, probably, what, almost 20 years? Yeah. And sitting the longbow, did you ever do any hunting with the longbow or the recurve? Yeah, I did. I got some deer with it. You got a favorite story that you want to tell about uh, a longbow deer? I think that's pretty interesting to a lot of people. Um, to me, I've you know I've shot recurve and longbow a little bit here and there, but definitely not consistent enough to go hunting. So I'm always impressed when people can get it done with a recurve or a longbow. Sure. Uh, 2006, I shot a 130-inch nine-point with my recurve black widow and uh that year i was shooting a lot i was shooting a lot of 3d uh competitions leading up to the hunting season and uh, i think it was october 7th it was a morning hunt i snuck in and i remember it was it was uh it was a full moon and um yeah i caught him coming back to bed right at first light and made about a 20 yard shot with my recurve and he only ran 70 yards piled up that's pretty awesome yeah he was like 225 pounds dressed out holy cow so what were the the weather conditions like and were you hunting out of a tree stand and do you have to do anything different when you're hunting out of a tree stand did you practice out of a tree stand with a longbow because to me the only times i've ever shot a, a recurve or a longbow has been off the ground and it seems like getting in a tree uh i guess i should ask too were you shooting instinctive it seems like that would be a, a whole nother element did you practice from the tree a lot yes i did back then i was practicing a lot from elevated positions uh you just got to make sure you know you have all the limbs are cleared because it's a lot longer than a, than a compound and uh yeah i shoot three fingers under too so the arrow's closer to your eye i think that's that works better from a tree stand okay yeah that's a good tip too i know uh my girlfriend's dad, he's big into traditional archery, and, you know, it's always kind of perplexed to me how anybody would shoot a deer like that, but he, he's a pretty good shot, too. It's a challenge. It's fun, though. So you said that was a morning hunt. Do you remember, by chance, what the weather conditions were like? Yeah, it was like the first cold front that year. It was cold. It was like 30 degrees on October 7th. It was a slight east wind. And was this like... Uh, Farm ground, marsh, swamp, what were you hunting? 
I was hunting in the woods. It's farmland, but I was uh, I was in the middle of a a thicket, and there's there was a pond there. Then behind me was kind of a little swamp, and they bedded back in there. They just cut him off coming back from the food. You think then? Yeah, I think so. He was, yeah, he had a lot of beans in his stomach. That's an interesting point, and and we didn't talk about that. That's something that I started doing a few years ago is I always cut open the stomachs. I mean, it's kind of gross, obviously, but it's interesting to see what's in there. Is, is that something you're doing regularly? Yeah, I usually check to see what, what they're eating. Yeah, it's good to know. Yeah, for sure, and I think uh, different times of the year, you know, obviously you're going to see different things, or that'll give you a good idea at that certain point of the year what the preferred food source is maybe for the following years. Yes. So was that your biggest deer at the time then? At the time, yeah, it was my biggest. My biggest I shot with a recurve, too. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So it's pretty cool you killed that buck in the morning. Are you hunting many mornings early season? Or if you're not, maybe when do you decide to hunt a morning or early season? I always usually hunt October 1st in the morning. If it's cold, I'll go out for sure, not really October. I also like to hunt rain, too. It's raining in the morning. That just seems like they move later in the morning, even in the early season. And I think we talked about it a little bit, but uh, heavy rain, light rain, rain that's going to stop. Um, rain that's going to stop. So if it's going to stop like right around dawn, nine or eight, nine, somewhere in there, you like to hunt then? Yes. Okay. Have you had any other early season opportunities or kills? Yeah. Um, 2018 uh yeah i was hunting october 1st on public land in the morning and it was pouring the rain that morning and i went out and uh i was getting soaked pretty good i mean it was raining hard about the first hour of daylight and it quit and a group of deer came in followed by a, a big eight pointer and he got 15 yards from me and i shot right underneath him Oh, man. I was just soaked from the rain. I don't know. That just threw me off. And, yeah, it was a nice deer. So what kind of setup were you in that morning? I was in a uh, tree stand. It was, uh, I was on the edge of a CRP, like a CRP area and in a swamp. And there was an apple tree there that was dropping apples. And they came from the CRP, and they were heading into the swamp. Were they uh, stopping to feeding on that apple tree before they bed down, you think? No, they were just moving through. I, I don't think any of them stopped. There was kind of a, uh, a trail going through there, I think, one of the main trails to get back to their bedding area. Okay. Is there any ag nearby? You think they were coming off ag, or what do you think they were doing that morning? There there was an ag, yeah, about two, two or 300 yards from there on private land. I think they were coming off that. I think it was a it's a hay field. All right, well, let's move into cyber scouting and investigating a new piece of ground. So I kind of want to cover first, let's talk about cyber scouting. What do you look for specifically when you're checking out a new place on either an aerial or topo map or both? I'm looking for thick cover, swamps, marshes, or uh, autumn olive thickets with some transitions near them, you know, either fence rows or hardwoods. Even farm fields. Not, I like CRP fields too. I check those out. And look at areas where multiple trails converge. 
bedding clumps, water sources, ponds, creeks, even lakes. Okay, let's go over those a little bit each individually. So you mentioned swamps and marshes. We'll kind of lump those together. Okay. Why do those draw your eye? The reason is because of the pressure we have here. Um, it gives a place of deer to grow old. So I'm looking for bigger swamps and marshes. You mentioned autumn olive thickets, and, and man, it seems like the area that I hunted in Michigan got absolutely overrun with those in the last 10 years. But what do you like about autumn olive thickets specifically? They're great bedding areas and escape cover for the deer. And they're, they are everywhere. They're taking over a lot of the woods. Now, my experience with them is the areas that they took over, especially if there wasn't mature timber, it's like an open grass field where those started growing in. Yeah, that those end up being real good bedding areas. Are you finding them like the the same kind of thing or in the timber or what kind of autumn olive thickets are you looking for? Or doesn't it matter? I like the old field habitat where they're growing and where they used to farm any kind of hillside with them with the autumn olives on it. Makes great bedding. They are starting to take over the hardwoods too. I see it I see it everywhere. And it's really thickening things up. Yeah, it's good and it's bad now. I don't know how much you've seen it, but I, I definitely saw him eat the leaves and even the berries sometimes. You ever seen him do that? Uh, not really. The berries are edible, though. They're, I suppose the deer probably do eat them. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly the, the leaves because the one spot that I hunted had quite a few autumn olives and, and I'd see deer browsing on those pretty regular. Yeah, they, they love them for cover, that's for sure. And then you mentioned farm fields and your cyber scouting. I'm assuming you're looking for those to check out what kind of crops are planted. Yes, the crop rotations. Are you ever under any circumstance? Are you hunting near fields early season or late season or ever at all? Uh, sometimes I do. If it's private land usually and, it's, and there's bedding area that comes right up to the field. I've hunted like that before. So let's talk about bucks real quick. And, and I think obviously everything it depends is the answer but have you ever shot a, a decent or solid buck um, near a field and if you have i think sometimes especially on the hunting beast maybe we just throw field edges right out the window and that's probably the right move nine out of ten times but have you had any experience where you've shot a decent buck near a field and maybe describe like the setup and the time of year and why you think that happened i shot one once it was late october and I had my back to a, it was a picked cornfield. And uh, he, I think he was bedding back behind me. And there was like a creek back there on the other side of the field. And he was cutting the corner there. Yeah, he came in, man, in the morning. He was heading that way. What time of year was that? It was, uh, I think it was October 26th. Okay, so getting into the pre-rut then? Yeah. Sounds like that was like an inside corner setup then? Yes, it was. I was sitting off it a little bit though, maybe 50 yards to the side yeah that's a good point so one of the places that i hunted briefly was in uh shiawassee county it was private land but there was usually two ag fields on it and they were almost always picked by the time you know late october rolled around and i had pretty good luck setting up on the one because just like you i'd sit with my back to the picked field i'd sit about 50 yards in and there was a cruising trail maybe 70 yards in that kind of pinched down where, where the river met the field and and i saw several pretty good bucks there i think that's kind of like a typical funnel setup mm -hmm. yeah in that spot too with i was sitting between two wetlands both sides were flooded 
and there's just a little piece of dry ground running through there. That's what he, that's what he came down. Okay. Good piece of information too. What about CRP? You mentioned CRP and your experience with CRP in Michigan. Are you seeing deer bedding in there, feeding in there, both? Why do you like CRP? Yeah, I see them feeding and bedding in there. I like it because it's, it's great cover for them. You know, if it's just a few feet high, they can bed in there, not be visible. Is there any specific CRP field that you've seen that kind of stands out as better than some other ones? And if so, why do you think that is? Was it, you know, closer to food, closer to water? Maybe it was extra thick. Any, any examples like that? Yeah, the best ones I see have structure with them, kind of like a marsh, brush clumps or small trees growing out there. Yeah, as opposed to just like one big homogeneous area. Yeah, it has some diversity in it. Okay, and you mentioned bedding clumps in your, your cyber scouting answer. What did you mean by bedding clumps? Uh, usually groups of trees, uh, tamaracks, even uh, dogwood. So you're looking for that stuff like within a, a wetland area then? Yes. Okay. And, and in CRP too, I look for that stuff. So basically you're looking for, if I'm understanding correctly, whenever you're looking at these areas, especially cyber scouting, you're looking for some change in, in the sea of monotony. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we talked about CRP and some of the features that you like. Do you have any good buck kill stories where you're hunting CRP type terrain? Yeah, I killed my personal best uh, right in the middle of a CRP field from a single walnut tree, multi-trunk walnut. I've heard a little bit about this story. Tell me what led to the kill. I went out early and, and sat back in kind of a pothole swamp, but I could see up on the up in the CRP field up on the hill, and I observed that buck chasing um, a doe back and forth, I don't know, eight or nine in the morning, and I seen him go up on the hill, and he disappeared, so I figured he bedded up there. So at one o'clock, I got down and moved moved to that tree, that single walnut tree, which was probably like a hundred yards from where I seen him go into the bedding area. Okay, so you moved pretty tight to where you saw that deer last. Yeah, yeah, and then right at a uh, half hour before dark, maybe an hour before dark, I heard some thrashing up there. Like he was thrashing some brush, and uh, he I heard a deep grunt, and I blew on my grunt call and. He just came right out of the bedding right toward me. I put it I put it on him about twenty yards. And then he ran about thirty yards and and fell over and he was gurgling in there and rolling around and stuff. I couldn't see because he was in some autumn hours, but I could hear him in there. And uh I don't know, I waited a good hour, climbed down from my stand. I thought I was just gonna go to a dead deer and he jumped up, took off across the uh the CRP field and into a fence row. So I think I might have waited another forty-five minutes, and that was—he just died. He was on his—he was on his last breath. You make a great point about waiting in your stand after the shot. If people are out there that are listening that are newer, and th this is just me, I don't care unless I see the deer fall over in sight and stop breathing. I always wait an hour now because I've got down before, before that, and it's you know cost me once or twice, or like you said, you spook a deer, so. Unless I see it laying there, stone cold, dead, not breathing, I'm not getting down 
before an hour has gone by. Yeah, it's smart to wait. My philosophy on that is if it's dead, it's not going anywhere. And if it's not dead, the longer you wait, the better. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty neat. So there, yeah, there's a good example of CRP. You kind of talked about uh, the clump bedding in CRP. Do you think that deer, when he when he got up on that CRP hill, is there some of that those type of features? Do you think he bedded down in there with that doe? Yeah, I think he did. There's a bunch of beds up there. I, I found them before. So that's like an area that, that you've known previously to be a bedding area? Yeah, and it's a south-facing hillside. So it was a north wind that day. So he was he was leeward. That makes a lot of sense. What about temperature? Was it cold? I know uh, they like to bed on those south-facing slopes when it's cold, get the sun exposure. It was probably in the 40s for a high that day. Pretty chilly then. Yeah. All right, yeah, I think that gives a pretty good insight into your cyber scouting. So once you cyber scouted an area and you start putting boots on the ground, how many times are you going into an area? And once you get in that area, what are you looking for specifically to determine whether this is an area you want to hunt or this is an area you're going to bypass? I'm just looking for general sign, big rubs, you know, big high rubs, scrapes, just general usage. Um, there's a lot of tracks in there and, you know, browse. I look for browse, stuff that's browsed. Sometimes I only go once and I ain't coming back to the next hunting season. Other times I'll make multiple trips if I think of something I might have forgot. So when you get in there, are you trying to, if you're only going in once, are you picking out your, your kill tree and what wind do you think you're going to hunt? Uh, yeah. That, that one yep. time in there? Yeah, I carry a pole saw with me every time I go out scouting. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a good tip right there. So you can be one and done if, if you think you got all the information you need. Yeah. So you mentioned big rubs and tracks and in the browse line. Are you using the browse line to help determine doe or buck or are you just using the browse line to kind of gauge deer activity in that area? Yeah, just to gauge deer activity. So if you're not seeing like heavy browse, you're probably not going to hunt that area? Uh, yeah, maybe. Or is that, that's just one piece of the puzzle then? Yeah, it's just one piece. So the next topic, I know this is one that you use quite a bit, and it's giving you some really good intel, something I'm relying on more and more, is glassing. So once you've been into an area, you've cyber scouted it, you've put boots on the ground, you start glassing. Talk about your process. How often are you going? What time are you going? What are you looking for when you go glassing? I go the couple, the last couple hours of daylight. I'm just going around the farm fields and seeing what bucks are around and try to relate that back to the bedding that I know of from my pre-scouting from the winter. When do you usually start? For in the summertime? Yeah. Maybe early July, late late June. Okay. That's when I like to start, too. I, I always say that's about the time you can tell a contender from a pretender. You don't always know what you're going to end up with, but you can usually tell if it's ears wide in early july it's going to be a pretty good buck yeah for sure i've seen some nice ones already in early july the next part of the strategy i want to talk about and i know this because i've talked to you before is you do use trail cameras where are you putting your trail cameras how do you decide that and what kind of intel are you looking for in those cameras i like to put them on transitions i like to stay at least a couple hundred yards from where i'm hunting um i i do make some mock scrapes too 
And when you say transition, what do you mean? Is that like an area between bed and food or is that a transition line where two types of cover meet? What do you mean there? Yeah, where two types of cover meet, like a swamp and a hardwoods. Or even I've put them in fence rows before, the edge of farm fields. Are you trying to put them right on the deer trail then on those transition lines? Yes, usually. Okay. Actually, I like to put them where two trails meet. Like perpendicular? Yeah, cross trail. Yeah. Are you looking for just inventory at that point? Or are you trying to find out like time of movement, direction? What What are you looking for when you when you scan through your trail camera pictures? It's just all inventory. See what bucks are around, uh, you know, with the shooters. And it sounds like you've got a pretty good knowledge of most of your hunting areas. So you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily using cameras to like figure out movement. You're using them just to say, hey, there's a buck in this area that I'd like to go after. And I already know that he might be betting in area A, B, or C then. Yep, exactly. Okay. What about if it's a... a newer area and you don't necessarily know where the bedding is. Let's say you didn't winter scout it or spring scout it for whatever reason. Do you ever use your cameras in, in any different way or is it strictly inventory? It's still strictly inventory. Okay. And I just might be going off land features on where they bet, if I'm guessing that. Right, back back to the cyber scouting then. Yeah. Okay. Well, from previous conversations with you, I know you have a really good knowledge of plant and tree species. Did you deliberately study this information, or was that something that was passed down to you, or a combination? No, I, I learned it all on my own, looking at a tree or a leaf and not knowing what it is, going back home and looking it up. It's basically how I learned. And have you found any patterns as far as it relates to, uh, let's say, deer browse, or in Michigan especially, since that's your uh, primary hunting area, has that information kind of turned you on to certain bucks or certain feeding areas? Maybe something that's that's a popular browse that people might not be aware of. Well, they like browsing the uh, red osier dogwood in the swamps. Anywhere I find a clump of sumacs, I mean they're they're rubbing there, which is good to see what's around. Do you think sumac's a preferred tree to rub on then? Yes, I do. Yeah, they, I always find rubs in them. Okay, yeah, that's a good tip. Have you seen any other plants out in the swamps or marshes that are browsed um, pretty heavily? Not too much in the swamps. Just dogwood is their main their main browse out there. Okay. Out in the CRP and stuff, when goldenrod's young, they'll browse that. Do you think that's preferred over a lot of the other vegetation then? Uh, it's pretty preferred when it's young and I see a lot of, uh, young apple trees getting nipped off and oaks. You actually own about 25 or 30 acres, right? 23 acres. How long have you owned that? Since I think 2013. Okay. Seven, eight years now. And and what kind of work have you been doing over there to, cause I know you're interested in, in habitat improvement. What kind of work have you been doing on your property? Kind of walk me through after you bought it and maybe what you've learned since you bought it and, and how you're trying to improve it each year. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it's 23 acres of, uh, an old, it used to be a farm field and there's only a couple acres of woods on it, but now it's all, uh, brush and like CRP type ground. So I bought it with the plan to plant some trees and some food plots 
And yeah, the first year I, uh, I think I planted 500 spruce, 40 or 50 oaks and some pear and apple trees. So it's been seven years. Are those apple and pear trees, have those started producing yet? Yeah, I just started getting some apples for the first time. I think it was last year. Okay, so it's just, just starting to get good then. Yeah, and the spruce, I mean, they were seedlings when I planted them, and now they're five feet tall. Did you plant those for, like, thermal cover, bedding area type stuff? Yeah, screening cover from the rope and, uh, yeah, some bedding clumps. Talk about how you decided, like, where to plant those trees or how many did you plant in each clump? The south side of my ground was more open, so I wanted to make that a little more thicker. So, uh, yeah, I planted some wines of uh, spruce, maybe 50 in a clump. I didn't want to do them square or in rows. I just put them in a clump 10 feet apart. Like I planted three or four clumps like that. Are you getting, now that they're five foot tall, are you getting movement? Or they're like, I'm imagining there's probably defined trails between the clumps now. It's starting to, yeah. They're starting to rub on them too. Oh yeah, that's cool. I mean, I put in two food food plots also. How big of plots are you planting, and what type of food plot crops are you putting in? I have uh, two. One's about thirty yards by thirty yards, and uh, I like to do winter rye and radishes. And the other one's probably twenty yards by twenty yards, and uh, yeah, I like to plant the same thing in that one too. Okay, so you're making these, these are small, like, kill-type plots, and you're actually hunting over them? Sometimes I do. More to keep the doe groups in there for the rut. That makes sense. And I don't have a ton of experience, um, you know, with land management or food plotting, but my, my girlfriend's dad, they own some land, and we usually planted a few food plots, and it seems like the smaller ones, obviously closer to bedding, do better than, than the large ag-type fields for, for hunting over yeah did you place these food plots strategically near the spruce bedding that you created or bedding that you had already observed on the property yeah they're in areas i already knew they were bedding and uh yeah i like to put uh well i kept some small shrubs in the middle of them for scrapes licking branches and and did you try to set them up on i mean i'm assuming or you thought about where the, the bedding is and like your access in the wind direction. Yeah, I tried setting it up for that, for the predominant west wind. Yeah, you bring up a great point. It's a really good idea to think through strategically where you're going to place the food plots, where your access is, where the bedding is, any water sources, and how those relate before you begin any of your land management. Yeah, it's good to hunt there for a year too to learn the, the deer movement before you do anything major too right try and capitalize on that natural movement pattern that's already there Mm -hmm. you also mentioned that you planted some oak trees were there any oaks on the property already and i don't know i don't know a ton about oaks but i think those take what 20 30 years to produce acorns yeah they take a while that's what it is i think it's 25 30 years yeah there was some uh, white oaks already there um, in the fence lines are those mature trees that are producing yeah yeah, so you got a, it sounds like you got a pretty nice property then with some old field type habitat, good bedding areas, adding some spruce to 
kind of enhance those bedding areas and then with some natural mass there already in in the food plot sounds like you got a pretty good setup there for a small acreage yeah it's, it's it sets up nice so well, i guess the last thing i'd want to ask about the the land management is you've been there seven years now and obviously you've become a, a better hunter as well over the last seven years i'd imagine but has have you seen any impact as far as your property holding more deer during the season yeah i think it's holding more deer it's gotten thicker the old field habitat's gotten thicker and uh, yeah it's holding more does for sure that's the nice thing about having your own land i mean i like hunting public you're you're hunting public too but you can you can do some things there to increase your odds for sure yeah i uh i don't i only hunt it like three or four times a year and the rest of the time i'm on public land keeping the pressure off of it yeah that's smart i mean i think especially if you're putting time and money into it the i gotta imagine the temptations there to get out there more and to hunt more but to hunt it smarter you probably get a lot more out of every sit when you're doing that right everybody knows that michigan's a high pressure state you hunting in southern michigan at times which is probably arguably the the highest pressure part of michigan so when you're hunting a new piece of ground, how do you take hunting pressure into account? And like, what are you looking for when you're out in the woods? How do you determine if that's an area that's been pressured or not before? I'm looking for tree stands, uh, access trails, uh, cutting where people come in, boot tracks, just general usage of the land, garbage, all that. Yeah, and I've scouted a couple of those pieces of uh southern michigan public and for people that are listening that aren't from michigan give me an example in a spring because the tree stands are supposed to be gone then give me an example or a number how many abandoned tree stands do you find in the spring on public uh, upwards of 100 probably they're everywhere it's crazy how many are out there i've told people before that i've seen 20 or 30 in a single scouting trip yeah another thing i try to determine is if a stand has been haunted it's a newer stand because I have shot deer from um, close to old stands before. No, that's a, a great point. And that was actually going to be my next question is if you're in an area and the signs there, but you see other stands, what makes you decide to hunt there or not hunt there? There's got to be deer sign. I've seen, I've seen good sign close to uh, other stands. Yeah. That's not necessarily a deterrent for you then. So if the sign's there, but there's a stand there, you'll, you'll go ahead and give it a sit anyways. I can hunt around them. Well, let's move into the hunting season now. So early season, Michigan opens October 1st. So that's what I consider early season in Michigan. And that can be a really tough time of the year. But the last few years, for sure, that I know of, and maybe even prior to that, I just don't know. You've had pretty consistent success and some good opportunities early season. Tell me what you're doing now that's led you to more early season opportunities. I really like to find where acorns are at. If they're dropping near the bedding areas, that's a great early season setup. By October 1, I mean, most of the time, they're they're abandoned in the farm fields. And they're not coming out to edge or dark unless it's a real good private piece. So let's talk about acorns then. Are you looking for any acorns? I think most people know whites are probably preferred over reds. We you still set up on reds and how far away from a bedding area do you think you can get um, on an acorn tree let's say it's 300 yards for example is that too far away 
yeah, that's too far. I'd say inside 100 yards, 50 to 100 yards. If it's over 100, 150, then you wouldn't consider that? Not, that's Yeah, that's pushing it. Okay. I probably wouldn't. Two years ago, you shot a huge bodied buck in southern Michigan. I believe you saw that deer the year before and then kind of figured out that winter and spring where the best bedding area was in that area. And you actually ended up shooting that buck the following year, early season. So kind of walk me through how you first saw the deer, then how you went about finding what you thought was that deer's bedding area, and then how you determined when the time was right to get in there. Yeah, me and me and Joel, we shined that deer that same year in the summer. Not too, well, it was about a mile from where I shot it. And I had a trail cam picture of him the year before too in the same general area. We went in there in the winter and we determined that was the best area. Just it was remote. It's remote back there, and uh, it was just real thick. So, just to summarize, the year before you shot it, you got a trail camera picture of it. What did the deer look like that year? He was. He looked almost the same, really. He was just a little smaller. Probably two, three year old deer that year. I think he was a three year old. I would guess just based on the body size that it was too, because that ended up being a pretty pretty large deer what, what did that deer end up dressing out did you weigh it 210 pounds dressed up yeah that's a that's a really big deer for especially for michigan so yeah probably four four or older so you guys you got the trail camera picture of it and then did you just start walking around or did you cyber scout before you went and ended up finding this bedding area like what led you to that bedding area off oh, cyber scouting and then boots on the ground. That, that, that's a big swamp. We, I've, I've walked that whole thing. Was there something specific that you guys saw while cyber scouting that made you say, hey, that might be the area? Yeah, it was a real nasty area. as a bog. And there was some uh, swamp white oaks on an island. Where the oaks are, it's really not high ground either. That floods in there too. But it's still an island. And it's lined with dogwood and cattails and there's a can there's a tamarack swamp right there too so it's just got all types of good deer habitat and it's pretty pretty remote and difficult access yeah so when you guys got back there and saw those oak trees do you remember did you look at them the year that you shot the buck where did those oaks were they holding acorns or dropping acorns that year yeah they were it was a heavy master that year we were coming in off the mainland and before we hit where we we're gonna walk out in the in the swamp at there was a ton of sign in there big tracks and just general deer usage let's put the story in perspective a little bit so you get the trail camera picture you think you know that's a decent deer for the area and then you get out in this bedding area you find this nice bedding area and it's got some oak trees over the winter and then fast forward to the summer you guys shine this deer right yeah yes yeah so you shined it the year before you got it and then talk about the uh, first time you went in there to hunt it because you start off, like you said, on the mainland, and then there's some nasty stuff before you get out to this bedding area. Talk about the sign you guys saw on the way out there. We were seeing uh, just a lot of tracks. It was, it was just beat down. Were you seeing any obvious big buck tracks or any scrapes? Yeah, we did see one big track. Yeah, I remember Joel saying that day or maybe the next day that you guys saw a real big track walking in, so you thought that there's a good chance that deer was in there. Yeah, and he, he thought it was a, it was the tracks in the bunk I shot, which it probably was. I think he had, he 
he hunted back there, I think October 1, but he didn't go all the way in. He sat back, and then kind of I went with him, and he pushed in a little further. Yeah, you guys, so that's something I want to bring up, too. So, season starts October 1. You shot this deer October 4th, right? 5th, I think it was. Okay, October 5th. So, you're already, you're already way deep in, like, the most secure bedding area four or five days into the season. Yep. And I think that's an important lesson. I mean, Jordan kind of talked about that in the last podcast, too. In areas of heavy pressure, you have to get it right in the, the premium spots right away, I think. And... It's different, and I've experienced this now in, in Montana early season. I went to this piece of public land last year, and it's a sign-in. It's actually private, but there's a program with the state where you can sign in at a box and then go hunt it. It hunts like public as long as you sign in. Anyways, season opened last year, like September 5th or whatever. The first Saturday in September was September 4th, 6th. I don't know what the date was. But anyways, I signed in the first week of October, and I was the first one to sign in on the book. I mean, that's nice. Yeah, it's nice. And, and the point I'm getting at is there was deer bedded in like really obvious like magazine type setups where they would never be in, in Michigan or Wisconsin or, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, these high pressure states. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is if you're in one of those high pressure states and you find one of these really good premium bedding areas, good security cover, like you said, it's got oaks back there it's got dogwood it's got water it's got everything a deer needs to survive and, and get a little bit of age on it dive in there right away right i mean i think you'd agree yeah for sure i thought that was a cool story about how you guys kind of picked up on that deer and you know made you investigate that area a little more and then got in there and, and got the job done especially early season which i think is real tough yeah and he he almost shot one last year in that spot when came in at dark time it got to when it was too dark that's right and that was real early too again first week of season right it was yeah uh... yeah i'll probably have joel on at some point but we'll just that story real quick from what i remember of it is it was that same area and he, he thinks he heard the deer get up like 70 yards away right at dark and it didn't even make 70 yards and, and got too dark right yeah it, i think it was 40 yards from could have had a 40 yard shot but it was just too dark yeah that's an, another illustration of why it's important uh once you find these areas i mean you gotta you gotta push right up into them another thing i wanted to talk to you about is you've had a lot of success shooting bucks midday what's your favorite period of the year for a midday hunt or when have you killed the most bucks midday uh first two weeks of november for sure because our, our gun season opens November 15th so it's it's the right time frame and when you say midday if you can think back to one two three examples of deer you shot at midday what would you say or give me the the time you shot some of these bucks usually right around noon between 11 and 1 I've shot most of them okay and, and when you're hunting these midday sits what kind of location or terrain are you sitting in usually right in the bedding area or just on the edge of it and buck bedding doe bedding or both uh both actually probably doe bedding is better are you sitting like the downwind side of a doe bedding area midday then? yes yeah okay let's talk about calling and so i'm interested to hear your thoughts on calling 
I pretty much completely gave up calling in Michigan, even during the rut, to the point that I didn't even carry a grunt tube, antlers, anything anymore. But you've had pretty good luck calling in and killing bucks. So what kind of running or calling sequence do you generally use? Like are a couple short ones, long ones, mixing it up? What are you doing with your grunt tube? I'll, I'll do like three short grunts every 20 minutes. I've called them in like that, blind calling. And it works best when you're in a bedding area, thick cover. All these calling sequences, then you're in bedding areas again, then. Yeah. And I think you've had some success early season, too, right? Like, not necessarily pre rut, but like early October. I did. Uh, actually, that buck I shot, we were just talking about. I called him in, and he was moving away from me. I gave him a couple short grunts, and he walked right in. Yeah, that's interesting. So, do you think. Uh, you think that's more curiosity at that point or it was so thick he couldn't see you why do you think he came in i think he thought there was another buck in there because that year that time of year they're still bachelored up because walking in we kicked up a deer i'm not too far from where i was sitting we didn't see what it was but we think it was a buck okay and what about rattling you ever do any rattling or or doe bleeding i haven't had much luck rattling I haven't tried it in a long time, but I don't even carry a doe bleak can either, just a grunt tube. Yeah, that's the point I got to. I pretty much gave up on uh, gave up on everything. Yeah, I always have a grunt tube every time I go out. What brand grunt tube are you using, do you know? Uh, it's, it's the Pen-On ones. I don't even think they make them anymore. A-Way Outdoors, the Bow Grunner, they called it. Okay. It's, do you know which one I'm talking about? It's the long tube. I haven't seen that one specifically, but do you think do you think it matters? Um, I guess that's why I'm asking. Do you think the the tone matters, or is any grunt good enough? I like a low tone. This one has a really low tone. I think the deer have to be fairly close just to even hear it. I don't know if it matters, but have you had any better luck or any worse luck in like calmer conditions, windier conditions? Yeah, the calmer because it's pretty low tone, so. And you probably have to be within 100 yards to even hear it, I'm thinking. I think uh, Craft D on the Beast, he said he's had pretty good luck calling, you know, blind calling, but near known bedding areas. So it sounds like the same kind of setup for you. Yeah. That's some good tips on, on calling there. You're not calling every time you go out, though, right? No. Usually just during the rut. I'm, bl- I'm blind calling usually just during the rut. And then early season, you're only calling if you see one, yes. but it's not going to come in? Yep. Okay. Let's move into weather, and obviously weather is an important factor in deer hunting. What's your favorite type of weather to hunt, and do you like to hunt before, during, or after a front? I like after a front. The first day it calms down. Usually it's windy, and then it gets calm like the second day in. With the deer move really good in that time frame. I also like a light rain. I'm good in light rain. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Talk about that a little bit, like uh, like a short period or all-day light rain. What do you think? Why do you like the light rain specifically? Yeah, light rain off and on. The buck I shot last year, it was snowing and raining. It was windy too, actually. I just think they feel comfortable moving in rain. Not a heavy downpour, just a... This is like a mist or real, real light rain. I've sat in heavy rains enough times that I've pretty much given up on that too. I don't, 
I don't think in a real heavy rain you see a lot of movement and and it's also terrible to sit in. Are you paying attention to any other weather variables? I mean, obviously the wind, but what about barometer? Or I haven't really talked about moon phase with any of the guests. What's your opinion on the moon? I don't pay much attention to it. I don't think it makes a difference here. It's so much pressure, you know. Uh, the barometric pressure, I went back and looked at a lot of the bucks I shot. Actually, it's a good amount of them have been with high barometer. But high overall, though, huh? Like when it's like 30.2 or something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think I, uh, I can't remember who it was. Somebody mentioned the high pressure was definitely good for deer hunting, and I started paying attention to that. And I think that that's been my experience as well, that the high pressure seems to get them moving for sure. Like you said, after the front, that high pressure is moving in, clearing up the area. Seems to be pretty productive hunting that, that day right after the front. Well, let's get into a controversial topic. I know you've killed a few deer. I don't know how many. Maybe you can discuss that. But on front quartering two shots. So tell me about your process for taking that shot and where exactly when you're aiming at a deer on a front quartering shot are you aiming to hit with your your arrow? Right at where the neck meets the shoulder. That little gap right there. Are you looking to aim just into the neck then? I mean, you're trying to avoid the, the shoulder? Yeah, just just a little bit so I can get down into the vitals. It puts them down quick. What do you think, what's the maximum distance that you think is like a ethical distance to take that shot? Because that's a tougher shot than a broadside shot, obviously. what? Where do you cut it off on a shot like that for you? 15 to 20 yards max. Would be. I wouldn't take a long distance shot like that. Actually, most of them I shot like that have probably been between 10, 15 yards. Yeah, not a shot that you're going to be taking at a long distance then. No, I don't think it'd be, it wouldn't be a good shot at a long distance. Well, let's talk about stand height on that shot. What do you think your average stand height setup is when you're, when you're taking that kind of shot? Probably three lone wolf sticks. So 12, 15 feet, somewhere in there? Yes. And... This, this is my opinion. I think the higher you get, probably the worse that shot is. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I don't I don't like hunting really high. I don't like the angles on any shot, really. So are you always around, like, two to four stick setup then? Yeah. Okay. And I guess I haven't really talked about that either. What are you using to determine what height you're going to get in the tree? It probably depends on the setup, right? But... Talk about maybe a two-stick setup versus a four-stick setup. Why do you pick one over the other? Usually it's the cover or the type of tree. If it's a small tree, I'm not going to be able to climb as high. I like to be just above uh, the dogwood or just above the cattails. Like eyesight or so you can shoot over it? Yeah, so I can shoot over it. Okay. Well, you've killed a couple of really nice deer on uh, high-pressure Michigan public. And I don't know, talk. when did you start hunting public land, like regularly? About five years ago, regularly, when I joined the Beast. I did I did a little bit in the, in the past, but not like I do now. What have you learned from hunting public lands, and, and do you think it's made you a better hunter? Yeah, it's definitely made me a better hunter. Definitely learn to read sign better and to work harder. 
I noticed a lot of things about her. The brows, the trails, just general deer usage. I'm just seeing it better now the more I've done it. Are you doing any in-season scouting, and what are you looking for if you are? Yeah, I'm, I'm going into areas and uh, looking for hunting pressure, you know, big tracks, big rubs. You know, if I get a sighting of one and I have to go in an in-season scout, that's usually what I'm looking for. So are you scouting your way into what you think is, well, either one you already know is a bedding area, what you think the bedding area is? Like, if you're, if you're scouting your way in, what are some clues that that tip you off that, yep, this is the area, or maybe, nope, this isn't the area? And talk about if you are going into, let's say, a relatively new area, how do you decide when to stop and set up? Where I hunt, it's got to be near thick cover with a lot of sign. Okay, so you're following, let's say you're following the sign back, and then you see thick cover 200, 200 yards away. Where are you going to set up at? Within 50 yards of it, probably, or right on it. Okay, so you're getting real close then. Yeah. And what about your stand approach when you're getting, let's say you're going to set up 50 yards and you're 100 yards out now. How are you covering those last 50 yards and are you are you scanning for your tree then? Or what are you looking for to set up in a tree there? Yeah, I scan for my tree. Uh, it takes me a while. I'm creeping in there pretty slow, trying not to make any noise. Are you pausing, taking some breaks? Yeah, I do that. Okay. Just give me an idea. So those last 50, 100 yards on a typical setup, I mean, again, everything varies, right? But on a typical approach, those last 100 yards, how long is it taking you to cover that? Sometimes an hour, maybe. Oh, really? That long? Yeah. So you're going real slow. Yeah, I, I take my time. So you're getting out to uh, for these afternoon hunts, and you're getting out pretty early to get back to these spots and, and make sure you're getting in quiet, huh? Oh, yeah. I I leave seven hours before last shooting light sometimes with the truck. Really? Yeah. So if it gets dark at 730, you're leaving at noon? Yeah, sometimes. Is that leaving your house or the parking lot? The parking lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think that's going to surprise a lot of people. Yep, that's uh, that's interesting for sure. So you're taking you're taking plenty of time. I mean, I know you're hunting deeper, a lot of spots, you know, a mile, two, three miles deep or whatever. So are you covering that, that first portion pretty pretty quickly, or are you taking your time scouting all the way in there too? I usually go pretty quick until I get back close to where I'm, I want to be, you know, maybe a quarter mile or something, then I start really slowing down. So you've already got a destination in mind, and you're just kind of burning back to that general area, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, if you're getting out there early and, and you're getting back there quick, you think it's important to be set up? Uh, how long before dark do you like to be set up? You know, maybe five hours. Yeah, so you're getting out there early. Are you ever seeing any movement, let's say, before the last hour, hour and a half, or is it mostly towards the, right at the end of light on, this, on the public? During the rut, I'll, I'll see movement while I'm walking out there. I've seen that before. I've almost shot a couple bucks walking out there in the rut. Okay. In the early season, usually not. You usually don't see them walking out. So in the rut, you're you're basically you're getting out there whenever you can get out there then? Yeah. Or I'm out there all day usually from morning till dark. Can't shoot them from the couch. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your uh, mental attitude. I think 
again, this is something I want to discuss with every guest. I think it's real important. And deer hunting, to me, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, sometimes you get lucky and it's a sprint and you kill on the first day or two. But more often than not, it seems like it's a marathon. So what do you what do you do to keep yourself upbeat when things aren't going your way? I just think uh, it could happen anytime. Ten seconds can change your season. Keep a positive attitude. For someone like you that's got a lot of experience, I mean, I heard you mention earlier you shot a buck October 5th. You shot bucks during the rut. Have you shot any late season deer? I have shot a few. Like what What time are we talking? Mid-late December? <clears throat> Mid-late December. Actually, I wounded one last year. I didn't recover. Give it back December 12th. Okay. So I think that's a good point to bring up. And when you say it can happen anytime, that's true. If you're out there and you're getting after it, you can have encounters the first part of the season. The rut, yep. obviously. Late season. Yeah, it can happen anytime. Yeah. And I know from personal experience, you can have 20, 30, 40 sits in a row where it's just bust or kind of gets disheartening. <laughs> but you know the next time that might be the time and i think that that keeps me coming back i know that absolutely well let's talk about confidence and how you build up confidence in your sets sounds like for the last five years you've been hunting public pretty hard you've got 30 years hunting experience hunting public and private too sounds like a lot more public the last couple of years but what gives you confidence in a setup in Let's talk about now, like why you're confident now, and then let's go back, let's say, 15, 20 years, whenever you killed your, your first good buck and kind of that time frame too, maybe when you first started getting confident. So, I get confidence through my scouting, the shining, the glassing, boots on the ground, shooting my bow a lot. Did you have much success when you, when you first started hunting, 12 to 20, 25? I had some. I didn't really start putting good deer down until I was about 30, though. Back then, I just didn't I didn't hunt like I do now. I didn't scout. I mean, I hunted hard during the season, but it wasn't nothing like now. So you think that's the big change then from, let's say, prior to 30 to now? When did you really start putting in uh, hours in the woods, scouting, off-season, stuff like that? I'd say yeah, probably about 2006. I was spending a lot of time out there. And then about five years ago, I started doing it on public land. And obviously your your success and your results have went up as a direct result of that. Yeah, sure. So I think a lot of people that are joining the Hunting Beast, newer guys that, that are in the same boat that I was for sure, and, and maybe you were at some point where, well, you want to shoot bigger or better deer, but you don't necessarily know where to start. A lot of guys that are newer to the Beast, they're getting on there, because they haven't had a lot of success yet or they want to learn some more tactics looking back why did you set up sometimes back then and, and you wouldn't now right did you ever set up in the past and think oh this is a good spot and now looking back you're like oh that was a dumb spot that ever happened yeah i used to set up in spots that i wouldn't set up now i mean it would be uh like a turning feature but I wouldn't have any sign on it, and I'd hunt it anyways. Sometimes I'd kill deer like that, though. When you say terrain feature, like funnels with no no sign? Yeah, 
or yeah, transition between bedding and feeding or somewhere I might've found some, some good sign the winter before and just went and set up on it. You think maybe you were there wrong time of the season? Maybe your hunting pressure moved them out or the food source changed. If we're looking back, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes you made early on when you first started to get serious about hunting? No, I overhunted a lot of spots. I'd sit the same spots, you know, five, six times a year. I don't do that now. I don't hunt anything more than two or three times now. Long, long time ago, I didn't play the wind. Just go out and hunt. I'm sure you're always paying attention to that now. Yeah, for sure. I, it's one thing I've been doing for a while now, though. Back in my early years, I didn't. Anything else that sticks out? Not too much. Just trying to be as quiet as I can walking out there. I mean, as far as mistakes. Knowing when to draw on a deer, controlling the, the emotions. Now I, I wasn't always good at it, that's for sure. What do you think made you better at that? Experience, just getting opportunities. Just shooting a bunch of deer when I was younger, I think it really helped. So if you have a deer coming in now, are you thinking about anything? Do you think about your shot process or... What do you do to, to stay calm now, say a big buck's coming in? Trying to get my breathing down and not thinking too much about it. Just concentrate on the kill and where he's going to hit one of my windows, my shooting windows. All right, let's talk about this year coming up, uh, hunting season. Jeez, it's almost August 1st, just around the corner, even in Michigan, got two months left. You, do you set any goals for yourself? And I don't mean just inches of antler. It could be any goal going into any given season. Uh, it's pretty much the same every year. I like to shoot a three-and-a-half-year-old buck every year. Just have fun. That's a great goal. I think some people lose sight of that. Enjoy the adventure of it. That's right. Bad day in the tree stand is better than a good day at work. Absolutely. I agree. Is there any other topics or stories that you'd like to discuss here? The buck I shot last year, I shot him on Halloween. And uh, I sat for, I think it was three straight great days. And it was just windy and rainy and snowy. And I thought about going home that day, take my kids trick-or-treating. But uh, I decided to stay. It was pretty brutal out. And it paid off. I shot a pretty nice eight-pointer that evening. Now, was that three days in the same area, or just you'd been hunting three days in a row? In the, in the same general area. I was moving around, though. What time of the day did you shoot that deer? It was in the evening, probably an hour before dark. Okay. And uh, you said that was on Halloween? Yeah. So you tricked him. You didn't treat him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good story. I mean, it's important to... Like you said, your season can change in any any minute, any seconds. You got to be out there and, and believe in what you're doing. And I think that's a pretty common theme for people that are successful. Yeah, and you just got to, if you're not seeing any deer or anything, don't let it bother you. Keep grinding. All right, well, I think that's all the questions that I had for today. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me today, Brandon, and wish you good luck this season. Same to you, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one. You too.